Detweiler, and I invite you to come and join me as we take a pause in our busy day and pursue soul care, as we allow our bodies to slow down and our minds to be renewed with goodness, truth, and hope. This is PRN. Pause. Renew. Next. Hello, friends. I'm so glad that you're joining me here today to continue our podcast series on attachment. If you missed the first two episodes in the series, I hope you'll go back and check them out. In the first one, we just did a brief intro into attachment and attachment theory. And in the last episode, we talked about the history, where it came from, some of the founding players, and we'll be bringing some of that back up in today's episode. And today, we are jumping into the deep end and talking about the first of four attachment patterns, secure attachment. So as a review, attachment itself is simply a bond or a connection between two people. But we're talking about attachment theory. And attachment theory posits that it's a bond between two people that develops through patterned interactions with our caregivers. It's a two-way street because we're interacting with each other. And why does attachment matter? It matters because infants use attachments as a model for relationships. In fact, we're already acting out of our attachment style before we can even remember or speak. If you remember from last podcast episode, we talked about John Bowlby, the founder of attachment theory, and he really posited that a lot of this attachment work took place in the first two and a half years of life. So really before we can even remember, we're already picking up these relationship strategies. I also think if you haven't already asked it of yourself, you're probably going to be asking it soon. Is it possible to have different attachment styles with different people? Yes, I think that it is. But the relationship pattern that we're talking about the most in this podcast series and in attachment theory is the one that we had with our primary caregiver. And for most of us, that was with our mom. And that's the one that we mostly continue to act out of as a style in our relationship strategies throughout our lives. As a review from last week's episode about the history of attachment theory, Mary Ainsworth and her research, she came behind John Bowlby. She did an experiment called the strange situation. And through her work, she was able to find four attachment styles or patterns. And we're going to talk about all four. One of the four is secure and the other three styles are insecure. Today, we're talking about secure and we'll talk about the insecure ones in future weeks. So let's break down the attachment cycle and how it forms. At a very basic level, this is how it goes. An infant has a need, she or he cries, a caregiver meets that need, the end. (laughs) And that happens repeatedly over time. There's a need, the infant shows distress, a caregiver meets the need, the infant calms down. We are creating rhythms of engagement. Or another way we might think of it that I think is a beautiful picture came from Karen Purvis, who's the founder of TBRI. She calls it the attachment dance because the two of us, infant and caregiver, are learning to dance together. It's a dance between a parent and a child. How well we dance together, how well we're attuned to one another, determines how well that infant will grow up to be able to dance with other people. If a mother or the primary caregiver, whoever that might be, is a steady, attuned, dependable presence in her child's life, 
then chances are they're going to develop a secure attachment style. And a secure attachment pattern helps kids in three important ways. The first of which is that it equips them to be able to regulate their emotions. Secure attachment interactions help train our nervous system to run smoothly. Another way of thinking about that is called emotional regulation. You guys heard me talk about that a lot on the podcast last spring and the window of tolerance and all that stuff. You can go back and check that out if you want to know more about emotional regulation. But what that looks like is that in growing as an infant, they can't regulate themselves. In fact, they can't really do anything for themselves. So a caregiver really has to meet all of their needs. We regulate for them. But then as they grow, there is a dance, a little bit more of a dance back and forth because we're helping them co-regulate. They can begin to meet some of their needs. They can begin to use their voice to ask for help and to express what's going on with them. And then as they grow, we're meeting less and less of those needs until one day, hopefully they grow into emotionally regulated adults. I'm talking a lot about infants today because that's where a lot of the experimentation took place and that's where attachment gets set up. We'll talk about older kids and adults later. But if a need is present in an infant, their sympathetic nervous system gets activated. In other words, their fight or flight system kicks on and says, "Uh uh-oh, everything is not okay, I need help. Then a parent comes and meets their need, whether that be for comfort, whether that be for their hunger to be relieved. And then their parasympathetic nervous system comes in and helps them regulate and calm down. I think of, and I talk about in my office at work a lot of times, that sympathetic nervous system is like an alarm system that's going off in our body. It's very distressing. It feels scary. I don't, I don't know what's going on. There might be big emotions. And the parasympathetic nervous system is like a parachute that slowly comes back down and helps our bodies go back down to their normal level. So if you're missing a caregiver, and John Bowlby did a lot of research on that, what happens if you get taken away from a caregiver or if you're missing a caregiver? Then we're missing half of that cycle. If we have a need and we get dysregulated, and then there's nobody there to help meet that need, then we stay in fight or flight system. We don't come back down and we don't learn how to help our bodies regulate. So a secure attachment relationship, number one, helps kids learn to regulate their emotions. And number two, it gives them a sense of who they are and the confidence to try new things. Bowlby's theory of attachment argued that all humans are born with two instincts that help shape our development the instinct to draw near to a trusted caregiver for safety and comfort when we're in distress, and the instinct to go out and explore and master the world when we feel safe. Refuge-seeking behaviors, seeking comfort and peace and strength, and then when we feel safe, being able to venture out from a secure base. So you can think of that parent-child relationship in a secure attached relationship as being a secure base from which the kid can run out and come back, run out and come back. A parent or caregiver who's able to be a secure base is that steady, dependable, attuned, when I say attuned, I mean emotionally present person who's a safe place for kids to turn to when they're in distress and is able to begin to equip them with confidence to be able to go out and explore the world too. 
So a way of thinking about that is if you think about being on a playground with, let's say, a mom and her three-year-old, you might see that kid playing peacefully and the mom sitting on the bench. But maybe that little kid scrapes their knee. Where's the first place that they go? They might have been playing great before, but right then all they want is their mom and they run to her on the bench and they're crying. Mommy picks them up and hugs them and gives them a kiss, maybe pulls a Band-Aid out of her bag, puts it on there. And as soon as they're calmed down and regulated, where do they go? They go right back to the playground. That's a beautiful picture of that back and forth that happens in secure attached relationships. Now, as they grow, those behaviors are going to change. They may not need as much refuge-seeking behavior because they're growing into their autonomous self. So with our teenagers, they're not coming for little band-aids and things like that, and they want to spend a lot more time practicing their independence. But if anything really big happens, they know there's a safe place to turn and come to, and that is really important. So when kids feel safe, if they have a secure base, they will venture out to explore the physical world and their social world. That's really important. And so this is a really good place to drop in on the strange situation. I told you last week, we're going to talk about it in each of these episodes. So the strange situation was the experiment that Dr. Mary Ainsworth did. And in that experiment, as a review, what happened was they took a primary caregiver, usually a mom, and an infant between the ages of 12 and 18 months, and they put them in a room together with some toys and let them play together. And then the mom would leave and a stranger would come in and they'd watch how the baby acted. And then the mom would come back and then the stranger would leave. And then a little while later, the mom would leave too. And the infant would be by themselves in the room and they would watch how they acted. And then mom would come back and reunite. And through watching each of those things, they figured out the four different patterns of attachment. So this is what happened with the kids that were securely attached. Once they were separated from their caregiver, those secure babies looked distressed. It was important to them that their mom left. Like they noticed that. They were upset by that. They cried about that and they looked for her. But when their caregiver came back, they were easily soothed, regulated. And after a little while, they would return to playing with their toys again. So again, that refuge seeking behavior and then venturing out to explore. Here are some signs of secure attachment. Secure infants would seek proximity with their attachment figure. That means they would want them close. They would want to be close to them. They would maintain physical contact and they're comfortable with that connected presence. They were easily comforted and able to return to their play. In other words, they didn't continue to scream for 10 to 20 minutes after the caregiver returned. Once the caregiver returned, and they were able to feel comforted, they were able to go back and play. Those infants had rich and well-developed play themes. As they grew, they probably had good imaginations that they could act out. And there was an overall sense of enjoyment, connection, and respect between the parent and the child. Okay, so as a review, secure attachment helps kids in three important ways. One, it equips them to regulate their emotions. Two, It gives them a sense of who they are and the confidence to try new things. And three, it protects them from major mental and physical health problems later in life. When we as parents or when our parents met our needs successfully, it increases our ability to manage our emotions and it promotes resiliency for us in the face of future emotional pain and suffering. Because that's the deal, right? 
it's our job as parents is not to equip our children to be okay and never have anything bad happen to them. That's not real life, is it? But in the face of problems, they had resiliency. And here are some other outcomes of secure attachment. The kids that have a secure attachment learn how to give and receive care in that attachment dance. They grow up learning how to not just receive care, but also how to give it. They learn how to negotiate their needs, how to ask for what they need in appropriate ways. And they grow up to be autonomous human beings as adults. Here's a few interesting statistics to you guys about attachment. It is believed, now I saw different numbers on this, but this was the most frequent one that I saw, that about 60% of the population is believed to have a secure attachment style. So that's more than half of the population. That's pretty good. These two are also pretty amazing. And I got these from Empowered to Connect. Parent attachment predicts infant attachment 81% of the time, meaning we're passing on our attachment pattern to our kids. Whatever our style is, They're picking up on that very, very quickly in their early lives. And grandparents' attachment style predicts parent attachment 75% of the time. You guys, that's three-fourths of the time. Grandparents predict parents predict children. Okay, my guess is that some of you right about now are feeling like you need to tune out. You might be feeling a little anxious, probably. And if you're feeling overwhelmed right now, here's right the moment that I want to give you some hope. But first, let's do a check-in. If you're noticing fear or shame coming up about yourself, if this is bringing something up about you, about your relationship with your parents, or if you're a parent who's trying to parent your children well and all of a sudden are really worried that maybe you're not able to do this, or maybe you haven't been doing as as well as you thought you were doing, notice that shame or anxiety. Just notice them. Just observe them. And then I just want to ask you to let them move aside. And let's make room for curiosity. Just noticing as we talk about this stuff, as you notice your own interactions, what shows up, what comes up. And also giving ourselves a lot of grace. And that's where I want to head next. Because in order to be a parent who's setting up a secure attachment pattern, you don't have to do it perfectly. You don't even have to come close. You just have to be, quote unquote, good enough. In the 1950s, there was a psychoanalyst and pediatrician named Donald Winnicott who coined the phrase, the good enough mother. He described the importance of being good enough rather than perfect for our kids. He said that demanding perfection of parents or of human beings for that matter was unrealistic. I think I agree with that 100%. In his view, a good parent is responsive to their infant's needs, and as the child grows, our response gradually decreases. That's what we talked about with the co-regulation and them growing up to be autonomous. And he said, as a child grows, they're able to accommodate their parents' failures, meaning when you have an infant, you can't fail to feed them repeatedly. That's not okay. But as your child gets older, you may miss some of their emotional cues. It happens in all our relationships. I talked about that a lot in my rupture and repair episode a few weeks ago. And these failures may actually help our child comprehend and adjust to the realities of life. There was a British psychoanalyst named Peter Fonagy who added and did a lot of research in the field of attachment who says that even the most sensitive parent 
accurately tracks with his or her own child only about 45 to 50% of the time. And that is the most sensitive of parents, is only doing it about half the time. So there you go, friends. I hope that gives you a breath of fresh air. Like, let's just all take a breath together. That's, that's a lot better, isn't it? That <laughs> doesn't feel so heavy. The important thing is that over time, that children have the experience that their emotional state matters, even though their parents make mistakes sometimes, that they know that they matter, that what they have to say matters, that their emotions matter, that their parents want to help them when they're in distress. Those are the things that matter. If you listened to my episode on rupture and repair a couple weeks ago, you'll remember me saying that being attuned to another human being all the time is impossible. We're always miscommunicating, misunderstanding, or overreacting. It's the repair work, like, I'm sorry, (laughs) and trying to be attuned in our relationships that really makes the difference. It's our kids knowing that we care and that we want to be present with them, even though we get it wrong. Kurt Thompson writes in his book, Anatomy of the Soul, Of all the variables that influence the formation of a child's attachment pattern, the single most robust factor is whether or not their parent has made sense of their own life. One of the hallmarks of secure attachment as an adult is being able to reflect accurately on your own experience. So there's that curiosity again. Observe. Pay attention. What do you notice your patterns are in interactions with your children? with your spouse, with your friends. Another really helpful thing if you are parenting kids and you're trying to enact some of these secure attachment patterns is to think, what does my child need in this moment? Not, I think very often we do things without thinking. This has to be intentional, especially if it doesn't come naturally for us. Thinking about what does my child need? What are they trying to express to me? And then noticing, on the other hand, What is that like for me? Does it feel like a lot? Does it feel like too much? Is that uncomfortable? What are the reactions that happen inside of you? Just notice. Just get curious. Pay attention. Be curious. And give voice to what you're feeling. Find some safe people that you can talk to about it. Maybe your spouse. Maybe a therapist. Maybe a spiritual advisor or director. Maybe a close friend. Or even journaling. That helps us process what's going on inside of ourselves as well. Each episode, I want to leave you with a scripture that has to do with attachment patterns, particularly a secure attachment patterns. And I know we've already talked for a long time today. I may have blown your mind with some of this, and you're probably not going to be able to listen to an entire psalm. So we're going to do a short one today. It's 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, he says, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. If that isn't the basis of secure attachment, I don't know what is, you guys. I always want us to be coming back to what does this look like in our relationship with our Heavenly Father as well? He's the one that set up this whole thing to begin with, and He does it with us too. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That's that rupture and repair cycle, isn't it? If we have love, our kids can forgive us for a lot of things. As long as they know that our intentions are good, that we want to be present with them, 
And if that's hard for us, I encourage you to start noticing why that is. And we'll be talking about some of those insecure attachment styles in the coming weeks. So I hope, friends, that you'll stick around. If one of these episodes makes you a little uncomfortable, please stick through and hear all of it. I think as a coherent narrative, it makes the most sense if you've heard it all and can put it all together. If you need to go back and listen again because it was too much the first time, I hope that you will. I will say that there's a whole lot of hope in this attachment thing, and it's not over with the four patterns, so hold on. There's a fifth one that's even more exciting, so it's very hopeful, I promise. Now guys, we will not have a podcast next week because it is spring break and I will have kiddos at home and we'll be visiting family for Easter, but we'll be back in two weeks with the next podcast episode. So be blessed, friends. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Thank you.